We have a God of miracles, praise the Lord. Quite frankly, if he weren't, I don't think you'd be here. One of the reasons I'm here is because of the miracle of the resurrection. I know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Why? Because of the power of the resurrection. That's a miracle. Thank you for that. If you have a Bible, turn this morning to the book of John. And if you don't, then I'll read it for you. Either way. We've been going recently on Sunday mornings through some of the aspects of the book of John that are unique to this gospel. I didn't know it till just recently, the uniqueness of the book of John compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So you've got the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these first three are, are very similar in a lot of aspects, but John is he's, he's, he's unique, he's, he's different. Well, there's several reasons for that. John outlived the others by possibly 30 years. John outlived Paul the Apostle. John had the ability to see the church, which began in its infancy with Jesus and his disciples. John watched it grow into this, this enormous Roman world-covering organism. It was incredible. What began as primarily a Jewish church of Jews that were saved, as, as Paul and others took the gospel and began reaching Gentiles, it quickly was eclipsed by the number of Gentile believers in Gentile churches to where, where by the time that John was writing his gospel of John, the church was primarily a Gentile church. Now, that means something to me because I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile, and I needed the truths of Scripture to come to me not in a Jewish platter set out there with all the, the feasts and all the, or, or, all the offerings and all the things that I, I didn't comprehend. I needed, it, I needed it to be simple gospel. And so along comes John in chapter 3 and verse 16 and says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should have eternal life. And I'm saying, I can do that. I don't know a lot about that Old Testament stuff, but I can do that. And so as an 11-year-old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And I could do all that without the knowledge of all the Old Testament truths that the Jews, upon whom the church was started, was founded. That was John's burden, to be able to deliver the gospel truth to those who didn't understand all of the Old Testament. And so this morning, as we look at another truth found in the book of John that is unique to John, I started finding out there's a number of, of narratives of Jesus that are unique to John, not in the other gospels. There are some of the stories that are told that are unique to John. Some of the truths are in John's gospel, not the others, because John had by now developed such a burden for seeing the, the, uh, the, the gospel of Christ reach Gentiles like you and me. With that in mind, we come to John chapter 8. I'll read a few verses here. John chapter 8, beginning of verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. 
But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Drop down now to verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want us this morning to look at Jesus' presentation of himself as the light of the world. That's interesting to me, and we'll end up here, but it's interesting to me the setting into which he revealed himself as the light. I've entitled this morning's message, That Pesky Light. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your blessing, and thank you for this another opportunity for us to meet together and to be encouraged. And Lord, for us to hear what you'd have for us. And so I pray as, as I speak and preach what you've laid on my heart, Spirit of God, would you take these words and deliver them into the hearts of each person listening? And Lord, would you deliver them in a manner in which they need? And Lord, I pray that you'll be glorified in and through it, and we thank you this morning for being the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. In two online sources, one of them says, Light is responsible for all life. For the production of the air that we breathe, the cycles of our oceans, the magnetic fields around our planet, gravity, warmth, and our weather. We omit the importance of the true nature of the projection of our sun at our own peril. A second one writes, Exposure to natural light helps our bodies produce vitamin D, improves our circadian rhythms and sleep patterns, helps us to focus, enables us to get more done, and even makes us happier. Ensuring we get enough of this vital resource is key to our physical and physiological well-being. Sounds pretty good. Sounds like light's pretty important. If you were able to talk to a plant, you would find out that light is vital to their growth. Now, I had here a number of years ago a swimming pool. My kids were, were young, and we put that one of these blow-up swimming pools, you know, and you put it out back, and you fill it up in the summertime, and and after the kids get done, it's all full of grass, and you go out and try to clean the grass out. And after two or three times, you get tired, just let the grass stay in there, and the kids play in the grass. It's just fine. But what I found out after a few weeks of that, I decided to clean it out. So I had the swimming pool out there in the grass. I emptied all the water out, and I picked that up. But do you know what happened to the grass underneath where that swimming pool was? It was all yellow, all dying. Why? because it had not received the light of the sun. It had gone during that time and was on its way to dying because it had no light. I will not do it this morning, but if I were to tape those windows off there, these doors off here, turn off all the lights, it'd be dark in here. And if I were to preach to you in the dark, in the first place I couldn't do that because I couldn't read my notes. <laughs> Secondly, it'd be eerie. You'd be uncomfortable, and so would I. Because there's something about light. We need light. We lived in Illinois for a lot of years. And uh, Illinois 
basically when fall hits, the clouds come in. And the clouds stay there until early spring. And so all winter long, there's no light. It's, it's cloudy, it's dingy. All day. And, and people get a little testy during that time back there. They, they're a little discouraged sometimes. Depression sets in. Why? Because there's not enough light. So move out here in Colorado and they tell me how many days of the year is light. I said, this is great. And after about a year, I took it for granted. And we had three or four days with cloudy and I was getting upset. Lord, what are you doing? Light's important. Now, I want you to understand in this, in this story here, we've got this woman that was taken in, in this sinful act and the, uh, the Jewish leaders somehow caught her and it doesn't go into how they caught her fishy. They bring her into the, into, uh, into the, into the temple there, and uh, they throw her down on the ground, and they're all circling here, and her, they say to Jesus, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of this sinful deed. Now Moses' law says she's to be stoned. What do you say about this? That's the setting. That's the setting in which Jesus declares himself to be the light of of the world. Well, it sounds to me a pretty dark setting, especially for that woman. Now, can you just in your mind go in her mind just for a second? Now, okay, so she was a sinner and she was caught in the act of a sin. Well, don't put your hand up, but if I were to ask you how many of you have never sinned, we're all, we're all sinners. And what if we got caught in the very act of our sin, it'd be very embarrassing. So here she is, she's caught in this embarrassing situation. Not only embarrassing, but it has a, she's finding out it's got a death penalty tied to it. And she's seen the eyes of those men standing around her, and there's blood in their eyes. They can't wait to take these stones that are already in their hands and cast at her. Those first few verses tell the story of Master, verse 4. This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses said to Stoner, What sayest thou? Well, he's true. Let me read for you in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Yes, God was kind of serious about that sin back then, wasn't he? This, this, is a, this is a big big deal. But now, there's something interesting that's missing in this story. And see if you can pick it up. Here, here's the law. Even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. What's missing? The man. Why, why isn't he there? She was caught in the very act. If that's true, then where's he? They let him off. They didn't care. They weren't concerned about justice. They weren't concerned about doing the right thing. 
the Bible reveals the pro their, their, their motive, and that was they wanted to catch Jesus. They wanted to tempt Jesus. Well, here's what we can do. Here's what we do. Let's take this woman. Let's take this woman down, and we know we've got him now. We know we've got Jesus now, no matter what Jesus says. In verse number 6, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But what did Jesus do? So here, here's, here's this is so funny. Um, what was this, the, the game show where they had three doors? Behind door number one, door number two, or door, what was that? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. <laughs> All right? So they came in and said, Jesus, let's make a deal. Behind door number one. He said, now Jesus says, if Jesus says, you're right, Moses did say that, so let her have it. Kill her. That's door number one. Problem is, if Jesus says that, they're under Roman law right now. And under Roman law, it was against the law for anyone to, to perform capital punishment apart from the Roman jurisdiction. So if those Jews would have stoned her, they would have been put up on charges by the Romans. So if Jesus would say, kill her, they'd say, Jesus, you just broke the Roman law. They'd have him. They'd have him. So door number two. Door number two would be let her go. Jesus could say, well, let her go. After all, the Romans say, and what's he stepping into if he opens door number two? You are permissive on sin. You're letting this wicked sinner get by. Either way, Jesus is a loser. No matter what Jesus does, he's a loser. But on Let's Make a Deal, there are not just two doors, and they didn't know the game show. Because Jesus chose door number three. <laughs> he stooped down. Jesus, what sayest thou? He stooped down, and he started drawing in the ground. Don't you suppose that irritated the fire out of them? As if they hadn't said a word. It says, as if they, he could not hear them. So they lifted the voice. Jesus, we're asking you a question. What do you say? Well, after a sufficient time, after a sufficient time, he, uh, he stood up. As recorded in Jeremiah, perhaps Jesus was writing down some names of individuals who, with whom these men had sinned in one way or another. You ever think about what he's writing? Somebody said he's, he's playing an old-fashioned form of tic-tac-toe on the ground. What do you think? I don't know. That, the Bible doesn't say. But I found this interesting. In Jeremiah 17, 13, it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. Notice what it says. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Is it possible that Jesus was writing down their sins? So he's got these priests, and you've got priest Fred here, and priest Jim, and priest um, Peter here. So he writes down Fred. Next to Fred's name, he starts writing a sin, a recent one. And then, and then Peter, and then he's just writing these down. I don't know. We're not told. But he was writing something on the ground, one after another. These men were confronted with their own sins. 
Verse number seven, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. All right, fellas. All right. Whichever one of you hasn't ever sinned, you be the first. You be the first. And again, he stooped down and rolled to the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now what's not said is of stones. I believe after Jesus stooped down again, started writing once again, it was as quiet as can be around that circle. Nobody was even breathing. Who's going to be the first person to cast the stone? All of a sudden, thud. And then thud. And then thud, thud, thud as they drop their stones and quietly leave. Jesus is now all alone with this woman there, and he's still got his back to the situation. He looks over his shoulder. Where'd they all go? Where'd they all go? Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he saith unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now that's, that's peculiar. It's peculiar because Jesus, of all people, could have stoned her. He had the right. He had no sin. So, so he could have been the one to cast the first stone because he had no sin. And he knew the law better than anyone there. He knew what Moses had written, and he knew that she was guilty of this capital sin. He knew that. And he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Whoa, Jesus, you're letting this woman off. Jesus, what's the deal? I thought you were concerned about sin. I thought sin meant something to you. Here you're just letting her go with no consequence whatsoever. Do you think that Jesus, in his mind, thought that he was letting her go with no consequence? Jesus may already feel the sting in his own body of what he was going to experience for her sin when he paid for it on the cross. Oh, that sin was not going to go unpunished. He was going to pay for it. Jesus was going to pay for the very sin that he was releasing at that moment. Somebody was going to pay for that sin. It was going to be him, Jesus. But Jesus, instead of condemning her, offered her hope. As she was being delivered from death and given an admonition to walk in that light by sinning no more. Go and sin no more. I'm offering you a chance now for a life of no more sin. I'm offering you a chance now. Now, did she live a sinless life? Lord, we're not told. 
Did she go back to her way of life? We're not told. We don't know. What we do know is we serve a merciful Christ. What we do know is that Jesus Christ loved that woman. He, we know that he loved her and gave us an incredible example, did he not? He was not there to condemn. He was there to love. These men, because of their spiritual blindness, these, these rabbis, only saw a woman condemned in her sin. But Jesus, through the light of his life, saw a person who could be freed from her sin. You see, Jesus saw something completely different. They saw this, this opportunity to capture Jesus. And they just happened to choose to use this woman who was in sin. Jesus saw this woman whose life could be freed with such value if she would just trust in him. Isn't it amazing how differently we can see people before Christ and after Christ? Ever notice how problematic people can be? Oh, they can be irritants. But you get out here on 34 and you ever had a, 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 some traffic irritate you? <laughs> Doesn't take long, you just pull out in traffic and you're irritated. You go to Walmart to park and you're irritated. Somebody takes your shopping cart, you're irritated. You think Jesus went around being irritated at people all the time? Verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them. Now understand the setting here. What I just described. This, this woman caught in adultery, and Jesus not condemning her, setting her free. Notice what Jesus says in response in verse 12. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus cast light on his identity. Here is who I am. I am the light that has come into this world. And I have the light of life to offer all mankind. Verse number 13. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. They called him a liar. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I come and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Notice verse 17. It is also written in your law. Boy, they hated it when, they turned, when he turned the law back on them. <laughs> it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. And Jesus said in verse 18, I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me, and the, the law of which you just threw at me, the law says where there are two or more, the matter is settled. So Jesus just said, I come and my testimony is credible. Under the law, he said, my testimony is credible. Verse 21, then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. I believe that here Jesus is alluding to the fact that he, as the Messiah, he was the long predicted redeemer the Messiah, the anointed one, the, come, the one who had come and deliver Israel from their sins. He was that individual. He would come 
and he would go. But sadly, the very people to whom he came would miss him. They would reject him. And then they would sadly die in their sins. I am the one you seek, Jesus said. I am the one you seek. Ye shall seek me, the Messiah, and ye shall die in your sins. You'll seek the Messiah. I came and I left. And you missed me. Verse 22. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. Now, you've got to look closely, but they're mocking him here. These Pharisees, they're mocking him by insinuating that he might commit suicide, which in his day was punishable in the lowest parts of hell. In essence, they relegated him to the lowest parts of hell. Jesus, however, was from a place far above, far above them. Ye are from beneath. I'm from above. <laughs> They're saying, you belong in hell. Jesus, you belong in hell. Jesus said, no, actually, I'm from above, and you're the ones beneath. <laughs> I am from above, not of this world. And then the next few verses here, Jesus cast light on his relationship with his Father. He just said, there's two that bear witness, myself and my Father. Before the law, that's all you need, he said. There's two making it credible. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, <laughs> you got it's so funny. Jesus, who are you really? This to his answer. Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I haven't changed. I told you who I was at the beginning, and I haven't changed. You're not paying attention. You are refusing to accept who I am. He said, I have many things to say and to judge of you, he said, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, catch it, watch this, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, there's the cross, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Well, first of all, Jesus claimed to come from his Father in heaven. Now, these Pharisees were having a time with him. A time. Every time they tried to trip Jesus up, he was smarter. Every time they tried to capture him, Jesus eluded them. And now he's saying that he came from the Heavenly Father. He told them that his Heavenly Father sent them said him to them in verse 26. Also, that what the Father told him, he's now telling them. Those truths I'm saying are from the Heavenly Father. The Father not only sent Jesus, but the Father is with him right then. He's accompanying him. The Father is with me right now, he said. And Jesus said that he always does what pleases his Father. They would recognize him. 
They would recognize him. But sadly, not till it's too late. Sadly, not till it's too late. It says, after they lifted up the Son of Man. Now we know from the scriptures, from the recording in the scripture, that just because Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, the Jewish nation did not receive him then. We know that. The Bible tells us that. So if that's the case, and they still, as a nation, have not received him, now what could this be talking about? They would recognize him. And they would believe who he is but not till he comes the second time in his glory. Then when he comes from the skies, then they will know who he is, but it'll be too late. Then he says, then ye shall die in your sins. But lastly, gratefully, many did believe on him. So that they weren't all going to go to hell because of a refusal to believe. Many did believe. Well, verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Get this, he's just hammering away at this truth. I am from the Father. I come in the Father's name. What I share with you is from the Father. So it's, it's really simple what he's saying. They're just refusing to accept it. Why do ye not understand my speech? In other words, why don't you get it? Even because ye cannot hear my word. It wasn't because their ears were not physically working. It's the same thing my girls would sometimes experience. Go clean your room, I would say. 20 minutes later, is your room clean? No, Daddy, did you say something? Go clean your room. You see, oh, they heard it, but they weren't listening to it. They heard it. They heard him just fine. But they refused to hear what he had to say. Therefore, listen to what he said. Because they refused to hear what he said, verse 44, Jesus said this, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. <laughs> Jesus has played nice long enough. He's been nice to them long enough. Now it's time to let them have the truth. I come in the name of the Father. I come from the Father. The Father is with me. You're of your Father as well. But your Father is the devil. If God were your Father, you would love me. You would understand. and be able to accept me. But you cannot understand what I say because you can't even hear me spiritually. The words I speak are spiritual, and your ears are only tuned to the flesh. Your father is the devil, a murderer and a liar, and you behave just like him. Every once in a while, somebody goes under exploratory surgery. Well, the doctors can't tell. With all the technology we have today, sometimes they still can't tell for sure. And so in certain situations, they do exploratory surgery. They open a person up to determine the condition and effects of sometimes a cancerous growth. Not uncommon, the tumor is exposed as much worse than they thought, and they just sew them up, realizing that this is a terminal patient. They can't do anything for them. 
when God opens us up and shines His light into our hearts. It reveals who our true master is. God or the devil. Verse 52, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou, th whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him. You don't even know my Father. My Father honors me, and I do not honor myself, he said. However, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham, who had lived hundreds of years before? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Whew. He should not have said that. Whew. He should not have said that. He just said, I am. Am. Well, that's God's name. God revealed Himself to the Old Testament as the I Am. And in the very same grammatical setting, Jesus said to them, I Am. He was saying, I am God. In no uncertain terms. Verse 59, what was their response? Well, they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. I have never thought about that till this study. What was their response? They picked up stones to cast at him. Where'd those stones come from? Those stones were brought in by those rabbis who were condemning that woman caught in adultery. They were going to use those stones to kill her. But Jesus released her. And now those religious leaders are infuriated at Jesus. They pick up those stones and they go to hurl them at him. But he eludes their presence. In verse or chapter number 9, briefly, chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now notice, this is coming from this setting. He has just got these people really angry. So much so, they wanted to kill him. He left that setting. We'll go to chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. All right? Now, if I had just eluded people wanting to kill me with stones, what would I be thinking about? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What do I do now? How can I protect myself? Where do I need to run? What's Jesus doing? He's looking for the next person to help. He sees a man blind from his birth, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. 
I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Notice, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. I can see. I've never seen before. I can see. Jesus healed him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And to demonstrate that, he healed a blind man and allowed him to see light for the first time. You see, this man's healing, interestingly enough, he was not healed immediately. Jesus <laughs> spit on the ground, and Jesus took that wet dirt, that mud, and he put it on his eyes, which is a little gross. Now this man's got this mud on his eyes, eyelids. And Jesus said to him, now, now go to the pool of Siloam and, and wash. Well, in the first place, he's blind. Okay, okay, just point me in the right direction. I think Steve could figure it out. How, how does he get the pool of Well, he's been blind. He knows how to get around. He goes to the pool of Siloam. And he goes down there and he, he washes his eyes. He gets up and he, wa he wipes his eyes. And, wow! Look at the world! This is awesome! And he hightails it back, but Jesus is moved. You see? What healed him? His faith. Had he not done what Jesus said, he wouldn't have been healed. His faith healed him. How do I get saved? The price is already paid on Calvary. How do I get saved? How do my sins forgiven? The price is already paid. How do I get saved? By faith, the Bible says. By faith in Christ. He's already paid the price for me. My salvation is there waiting for me. All I have to do is, by faith, trust Him. Verse 29, We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto him, Why, herein is a marvelous thing. I love this conversation. These Pharisees are still wanting to condemn Jesus. And they say, Okay, we, we know that God spake to Moses. For this fellow, we don't know from where he is. The man, the healed man, says, why, herein is a marvelous thing, that, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. He performed a miracle, and you don't even know who he is. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. What an evangelist this blind man became. Whoa, he's preaching incredibly to these Pharisees. And they, the Pharisees, answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. They threw him out. We've heard enough from you. His faith to testify empowered his message. And then in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, 
Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. When confronted with Christ, his heart was already ready to believe. His faith in Jesus empowered his salvation. Jesus came into a world of darkness. And he opened the eyes of the willing, but sealed the eyes of the unwilling. He opened the eyes of the blind man willing to believe in him. But to those who rejected him, sealed their eyes, for they could not see. Jesus is the light of the world. We have a sun that shines out there and brightens our day. Why? As a picture. As a day after day picture of what we have in Jesus Christ. The light of the world. He came into my heart at 11 years old. He illumined my heart. He shined in my, light, light, in my heart. He saved me when I was 11. I know if I was to go around today and ask, you tell me when the Lord came into your heart, you trusted Him. Number one, I wonder if there might be some people here this morning that could not give that testimony. They say, oh, I believe that there was a Jesus, that, a real Jesus that really lived. They really, he really died on a cross, was buried, and three days later, He came alive again. I believe all that. But I don't understand the rest of this. And that's what's so sweet, the gospel story. The gospel story is based upon his death, burial, and resurrection. Anyone who comes to Jesus confessing their sins, Jesus, I'm a sinner. The Bible says all are sin. All have sinned. We're all sinners. Anyone who comes to Jesus confessing that they are sinners. It's impossible to get to heaven. Impossible because sin is perfect. There's no sin in heaven. How do I get there? How do I get there? Jesus said, I already paid the price. When I died on the cross, I paid the price. It's a done deal. All sins are under the blood. All you have to do is confess your sin to me and trust me by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So what is it today? Is Jesus to you the light of the world or that pesky light? <laughs> Has there come a time in your life where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive your sins and to save you and take you to heaven? Has there been a time? You say, oh, pastor, I've always believed that. Okay, here's my, my problem with that. I've been married to that lady right there for a lot of years. And I could say, I've always been married to her. Well, no, I haven't. June 17, 1978, that's when I said, I do. I became married on the day that I said, I do, to her. I haven't always been saved. When I was 11 years old, I knelt down and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I said, I do, to him. I was saved. So to say, oh, I've always believed. No, sorry. No. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Now, perhaps you can't put your, 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 your mind on a particular date 
That's okay. But is your salvation, is your security based upon you recognizing your sinful life, the fact that you're a sinner, that you cannot go to heaven, and you've come to Jesus and Jesus alone, and you've trusted in him to forgive you and to save you. Have you done that? Or are you doing what so many do today? I know Jesus wouldn't send me to hell because I'm not a bad person. I'm not that bad of a person, so he's not going to send me to hell. So, yes, I believe in him, and I'm also a good person. Problem. Salvation is not your good works and his good works. It's his good work alone. And until I come to believe in him and him alone, not him and me, him alone, I can't get saved. Because all of my righteousnesses, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. My only hope is Jesus. So is Jesus the light of your life? Or is he that pesky light? If you die tonight, then you know 100% for sure you go to heaven? I can say yes to that, not because I'm good. I can say that yes to that because I did what Jesus told me to do. I confessed that I was a sinner, and I trusted in him and him alone to forgive me and to save me. That's my security for heaven. The Bible said it. I believed it. How about you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And I thank you, Lord, for the work that you did on Calvary. Lord, I thank you that you did pay for our sins on that gruesome day. I also thank you, Lord, that that did not end your ministry. You ever lived to make intercession for us. You're praying for us constantly. But Lord, we understand today that you paid for our sins, and you're offering a free gift of eternal life to any who would come to you and confess their sinful condition and to trust in you exclusively. I wonder, nobody's looking around, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many of you, like me, could say, Pastor, I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because I can tell you that I trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. How many can you lift Lift your hands right now and say, Pastor, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Just lift your hand. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Put your hands down. If you were unable right now to put your hand up for any reason, I want you to think for just a moment. Can you imagine anyone loving you more than being willing to die for you? That's Jesus' testimony. Jesus loved you so much. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. And he's offering a free gift, the Bible says. If you've never trusted in him, you could this morning. You don't have to try to earn it, try to be good enough. You simply have to come to him by faith, the Bible says. So if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and came alive again three days later, and if you believe you're willing to come to him confessing your sin and trusting him, you could be saved even this morning. I was 11 year old and I prayed a prayer something like this. I said, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for me. 
was buried and rose again. I believe all that. And Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? I'm now trusting you and you alone to save me. And then I thanked him. And that's my salvation testimony. And you could be saved today too if you would but trust in Jesus. I wonder, is there anyone here this morning that say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know for sure that heaven is my home, but I want to know. I'd never call your name out. I would never embarrass you. But I'd love to pray for you. No one's looking around. Would you lift your hand so I can see it? Nobody else. Pastor, pray for me so that I can know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Anyone like that this morning? Let's all stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I don't know in what way the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart this morning, but I do believe He is speaking. And if God has spoken to your heart, do not leave this place without responding to Him. Whatever He's told you to do, you respond. Perhaps coming to the altar this morning and kneeling would be appropriate for you just to secure things between you and God. Perhaps you could do it right where you're standing. But do not leave this place without settling things with God. How are things between you and your Savior? Dear Lord, thank you for this sweet time in your word, and thank you, Lord, for working in our hearts. Continue what you've begun, I pray. We'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated.